think about the Lord taking our hands. It's, it reminds us of those songs, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Reminds me of those songs that we sung, What a Mighty God We Serve. And sometimes I think we forget what a mighty God we serve. And sometimes I think we forget that God has taken us by his hand and he's walking with us and he's talking to us and he's sharing what he wants us to know about him. Today we're going to continue our spiritual exploration of James chapter 1 verses 9 through 12 and our verse of emphasis today will be primarily verse 10 and once again our message is entitled the haves and the have nots. The haves and the haves not. When we hear the word rich, or you hear the word rich, certain things begin to come to your mind. There are people who are so poor that the only thing they have is money. Now when we hear that, we'll say, well, again, that doesn't make any sense because I said there are people so poor that the only thing they have is money. But when we begin to think about it, when we begin to meditate on it. That's what James is teaching us in this passage of scripture. We live in a world where we are rich in the things that perish, but poor in the things of the spirit. We are rich in gadgets, but poor in faith. We are rich in goods, but poor in grace. We are rich in know-how, but poor in character. We are rich in words, but poor in deeds. Someone once said, riches do not consist in the possessions of treasures, but in the use made of them. So today you're going to be saying, my head's going to hurt by the time I leave here today. But I believe there is so much in this one verse that we do not want to gleam over it. We don't want to run through it. We want God to speak to us. And I truly believe if we listen today, we will leave here with a different mindset of who we are. This morning, we're only going to address one point, the poverty of riches. So let's jump into our verse of the day, verse 10. And it says, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. As you may remember, the last time we gathered to discuss James chapter 1, verse 9, we were amazed that the saints who found themselves in humble circumstances, saints who found themselves lacking material possessions, the have-nots, if you will, were to rejoice in their high position. And some of us said, that doesn't seem to make any sense. How am I to rejoice in my high position and I'm in humble circumstances? I'm one of the have-nots. As you may recall, we were taught that it is in our humble circumstances and the pain and suffering that often accompanies this condition that God's grace is most on display. 
We are not to grumble, we are not to complain, but to celebrate to glory in our humble circumstances. James reminded us that the humble circumstance saints, the have-nots, are rich in the Lord as they view their trials with an eternal perspective. Now, keeping this eternal perspective mindset, James addresses today the rich saint and reminds the saint to glory in his humiliation. Now, we would think it would be the other way around. The poor ones would be the ones that are humiliated, and they would be in there. The rich would be the ones that are in the high position, but he's letting us know, once again, don't think like the world. Think like me. And we were talking yesterday in our group gathering with the men, and when we were talking, we were saying, it's so sad that believers in the church, their mindset is that of the world. Their definition is that of the world. And God is saying, I've told you what the definition is. So a rich person is a subjective term. We often think of a rich person as a person who has more than we have. And some of us grew up poor. Some of us grew up poor. We didn't have OR. But did not realize we were poor until we came across someone who had more than us. And then we begin to realize, man, we didn't have much. But then when you were growing up, you had everything that you needed. Why? Because God had given you everything you needed. But then you began to listen to the definition of the world. And the world says, that's not the definition of rich. That's not the definition of success. Success is you got a big house. You got three cars. You go on vacation. You got a summer home. Then the church, once again, yeah, 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 yeah. They started listening to the world. And God is going to teach us today what this real definition of rich is. When James uses the term rich man, he is referring to money or wealth, but it could also encompass being extremely blessed in other areas, such as the person is gifted, talented. But let's look at this definition as a working definition for today's message. One is rich or wealthy to the extent that one has sufficient food of good quality, clothing appropriate to keep cool or warm, and shelter for protection from the elements. Anything above this would constitute rich. Mm -mm. So some of them said, read that again. Let me write that one down. Let me put it again. One is rich or wealthy to the extent that one has sufficient food of good quality, clothing appropriate to keep cool or warm, shelter for protection from the elements. Anything above this would constitute rich. So now God's definition of rich is totally different than the world's definition of rich. Some of you came in here today thinking you was poor, P-O, and God says, no, you are rich. It did not say here you're going to eat the finest food. It said that you're going to eat food that's quality. It did not say you're going to have a meat coat or a fur coat. It said you're going to have a coat. But we don't like that because in this United States, there's always ambition to get more and more and more and more and more. And God is saying, do you not realize you're already rich because you got these basic necessities? So now when you read rich in the Bible, now some of us are going to have to change our mindset and say, that means me. Because he's saying, if you got more than what you need to eat and you got something left over, you know what? Now you got something to give somebody else. So we saw this week with people with the water and the toilet paper and everything else. Okay, just, all they think about is me. 
me, 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 me. And God is saying, do you not know I will provide for my children? So now we got this working definition. So now please don't miss this next. To those who are rich, James says, the rich saint is facing a trial just like the humble circumstance say. Because he's still talking about trials. So he's saying that person who is poor, that person who's of humble circumstances, they got a trial. But guess what? That rich person has a trial as well. For we do know there are painful trials and pleasant trials. We often think of the painful trials, but seldom think of the trials that cloak themselves in comfort. For we do know those who possess much are in danger in placing their security, their faith, their hope, their confidence in what they have in their richness. So God is saying it's going to be a trial of those who have more than the basic necessities not to begin to get their confidence, their trust, their everything in those possessions. Because he knows where your heart is is where your true treasure is. Mm, We're going to get even deeper than this. When we have much, we tend to trust in what we have instead of trusting God. So when we get, we get anything and we have more than we can actually use, we now are not depending. Go back to the Old Testament. Go back to when he was giving manna from heaven. He only gave them enough for each day. Because he knew some of our ancestors would be putting it in the freezer. We'd be hoarding it up. Because we're going to make sure I got enough. I got enough. And I got enough. I'm going to get more and more and more. I'm going to get more and more. Why? So I don't have to bother you tomorrow for what I need tomorrow. And God is saying, I'm trying to teach you all the way back from the Old Testament. I want you to depend on me day by day by day. That's why sometimes if you go to some country, and it may be what we call in our society a third world country, a country that's behind the United States or other leading countries, some of those saints there are able to be in touch with God more and more because they're depending on him day by day. We are depending on ourselves most of the time. We've all been there. I know I've been there. We've all been there. When we go to the ATM machine and we, we, we put our number in there and it, it shows all this money in the account. I begin to walk different. Man, I, I didn't know we was in the Gold Club membership. But then we've also had those times that you... Put that number in there, and, and, and it comes up NSF. You said, no, I must put the wrong number in there. He goes, or you, you've been in the checkout line, and, and you, you're going to order some groceries or some food and stuff, and you go, you put that card in there, and it, not approved. Then you got to open up the wallet and start going through three or four cards, and none of them approved. Do you not feel different? Because as long as that card got access on it where you can go get it, you ain't dependent on God. You dependent on reaching your limit on that card. And God is saying, I don't want my children that way. I want my children depending on me each and every day. 
We don't often think of riches as being a trial. Sadly, as saints of the Most High God, we often look at riches as the goal in life, the pinnacle of success. We done turned God's word to totally around. We're thinking this person is a success if they are rich. We think our children are a success if they got a good home. And they don't even know the Lord. They have no character. But they got all A's. Now do you know how dangerous this person is that has some wisdom, that has some knowledge, that has some information, and they have no character to go with it? So then you wonder why you got businessmen that are crooks and stuff? They never had any character to go with all the brains they got. And then you can have somebody who don't have two quarters together, but they got a lot of character. They'll give you the last glove, the last coat, won't try to cheat you. Why? Because they got character. Sadly, sometimes we foolishly think, I would rather face this trial than the trial of being a have-not. So you say, well, Pastor, if they both got trials, I'll choose the rich trial. Because I've been that, that have-not, humble circumstance trial long enough. So I want to go to the rich one. Well, we're going to see what that trial is, and you'll see. And you need to understand, most of the trials and most of the situations you're at is where God wants you at. Because he knows some of us with the quarter we got, how much, how much worse would we be if we had 200 quarters? So we always lie to ourselves and say, well, if I, if I end up making more, I'm going to give more to the Lord. Okay. And you can say it to each other. You can say it to yourself and try to impress yourself. God already knows your heart. So let's dig a little more. It's dangerous to be rich, and Satan in our flesh will become more enamored in the temporal possessions and lose focus of the eternal blessings. So God is telling us throughout scripture, when those who have more than what they need, they're in abundance, they have the tendency to begin to focus on those possessions and forget about the eternal. Well, where did I come up with this? Luke chapter 16, verse 13. You cannot serve God and wealth. Proverbs eleven twenty-eight. He who trusts in his riches will fall. Proverbs 18.11, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own imagination. So that person who has riches, that person who has wealth, that person who does not have godly character to go with those riches, they begin to think, I am protected from all things. And I have this wall up that protects me and what protects me is my money. So to some extent, like what Joseph was saying today, the United States thinks that they're all that and, and everything else, and then God says, you're putting your trust in your, your money, your resources, but you need to understand, the only wall that is impregnable is me. How dare you put your trust in your 401k? How dare you put your trust in this or that, and you're thinking because of those riches, this won't happen. So God has a way of reminding us what he says in his word. Then in Proverbs 23, 5, when you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings, like an eagle that flies towards the heavens. 
I like the other one he has in there, a fool and his money shall soon part. So he's constantly telling you, if you keep putting your confidence in your money, you keep putting your confidence in your wealth, you keep putting your confidence in your fame or whatever it may be, he's saying it will fly away like wings. It might be, you know, we see it all the time. Somebody is popular for a while. The one hit wonder. And then the next time they ain't had another hit the whole life. Some people have their 15 minutes of fame. You'll never see them again. And what are people willing to do to get that 15 minutes? And what are some of us willing to do to get any interest from the world? James does not say, let the rich rejoice in his riches. Rather, he says, the rich can rejoice that he is made low, that he is humble, that he is reminded of his mortality. Mm. You remember the sayings that we used to hear sometimes? I've never seen anybody die and have a brink truck following. All the things that we gather here, none of it's going to us with us when we leave here. And then some of those relatives that you ain't talked to, some of those kids that you, you know you birthed and you love them because you birthed them, you leaving all this for them. And God is saying, is that the legacy you are concerned about leaving? Or are you more concerned about leaving a legacy of how you followed me? Are you more concerned about be, being successful in my eyes or being successful in the world's? And many of us as believers, we don't, we don't check the box. I got to make sure my kids got money when I die. I got to make sure they set up when they die. Many of us sitting up here, how many of our parents set us up when we die? Some of us been in those, those families, I don't, don't want to say any of us. Some of us been in those families when we die, you know who got the next bill? We did. <laughs> That's because we ain't had no insurance. I got to pay that. That's good money here. You listen to that so you have your insurance ready for me. So you can pay for me. Because you know, I'm a bad person. That would be my last joke on money and right. Now you got the bill, pay it. So being of the mindset, I'm more concerned about my legacy with God than I am any money. I'm more concerned about what my relationship with God and what I pass down to them than some money. James now tells the haves to glory to boast in their lowly state of being, a servant of the Lord, that everything spiritually matter has been given to them by God's grace. For the rich man who has an eternal perspective understands earthly riches destined are destined to pass away. They are like flowers of the field. The godly rich man understands he has brought nothing into the world so he cannot take anything out of it. Only what he does for the Lord will last. Now, we always say these things in church. Some of us, since we've been little, whatever you do for the Lord is the only thing will last. We say it, but do we live it? Then we start saying, but, you know, but, 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 but. And God's saying, I don't see any of these buts in my word. Do you truly live your life as the only thing I'm doing to God? Everything I'm doing for God, that's the only thing that's going to have eternal perspective. James is really testing them, and he's really testing the rich because they do have money, and they can buy things. But he's trying to get them to know this is a wicked, dangerous trial that you're in because you have the tendency to begin to put your faith in there. 
To some of us who are saying, I can't wait till the day I get rich. I can't wait till I win the, win the lottery. Really? Because this test is going to be yours then. Because in the Bible, it also says, to much who has been given, much is required. It also says, those who are, quote, rich, and we already got the definition of rich, so that's probably going to cover almost everybody in here. They are to be giving generously. They're not sitting there with their hands out saying, give me more. They're not going to Walmart buying 10 things of toilet paper and keeping all 10 for themselves. They're thinking about, hey, there might be an old lady down the street who couldn't get out to the store and I'm going to get some for. Did that even cross your mind? No, it didn't. Because you're going to make sure I got make sure I got enough of my house. And these are believers. These are not unbelievers. These are believers. God's got to be sitting there. What's the difference between them and my kids? Mm. The only antidote to the seduction of the material is to continually remind ourselves that we must come to Christ with our hands open. We are saved not because of what we have. We are not loved by God because of what we have. We are not more special to God because of what we have. We are saved and loved by God for what he has done for us. We must remind ourselves that our riches add zero, nothing, nada to our status in Christ. Nothing. How dare churches have certain hierarchies of those who are more advanced in the world that they're now more important than God's church. That everybody's running around saying what their title is. I will use somebody's title when I'm led by God to use it to be inspiration to other people. So if we got Stacy here, and I might say sometime Dr. Stacy, that's for younger kids to hear people can become doctors. But if you come to this church and you say, I want to speak from the podium, then the first thing you're going to say is my name is Dr. Smith. I ain't asked you about what your profession was. And God don't care what your profession was. We were talking about this in Sunday school class. Look in the Bible. How many times does Luke say he a doctor? How many times does Apostle Paul talk about, these are my degrees. He says, I consider all of that rubbish in the comparison of knowing Christ. How many of us got that mindset? Are we still worried about what degrees I'm going to have after my name? Then the church, clapping, clapping. Oh, they got a degree. Oh, they got a degree. I ain't clapping nothing until I find out who this person is. What are they going to do with it? So when we used to have a scholarship fund, we would say, one of the questions I'm asking you is, what are you going to use this degree for to God's glory? I already know you got ideas of what it's going to bring to your glory. I ain't really worried about that. I'm worried about what are you going to use this degree for God's glory? So I know I was guilty. When I was in college, it was all about money. Love me some money. And I was a new believer, but I picked the degree and the field I was going to go into based on money. So even when I was in high school and we had the guidance counselor and they had the little book and it says all the careers and how much they made. And I, God was already showing me I had a gift of being able to teach, but I saw how much they made and I said, nope, 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 nope that, that ain't going to happen. Okay. So, so then I, I, I looked even when I got out of law school, my first interviews were with some companies like Northern Trust and there was State Defender and Public Defender and State's Attorney. And I saw how much they made. I said, I was making, I could have made more of this just with my finance degree. So then I said, well, let me go into personal injury. 
So from that decision, God was nowhere in the picture. It was all based on how much money the positions made. And many of us are the same way. We're not thinking. I wasn't thinking, well, how am I going to use this law degree to bring glory to God? You know what I was thinking about? How am I going to use this law degree to be able to fill in the blank? And no one in the church ever came to me to question me. No one in the church ever came to me and said, have you thought about how you're going to use this? Nobody. Because everybody in the church was basically the same mindset. How much money are you going to make? And that will deem if you are a success. We must remind ourselves. I like what Tim Paul says in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 17. He's talking to the rich, so we know who he's talking to. He says, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So that's not something Pastor Denny made up. That's scripture again. So he's warning them. Don't put your confidence and don't put your hope on worldly riches that are uncertain. They fly away. If they don't fly away, you're going to die sooner or later. So don't put your hope on them. Put them on God. And then he says, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So now I got to say, if God wrote that, did that not include me? Does he not have riches for me? Mm, no amens, no amens. Well, wait till you hear this next scripture. You ain't going to hear no more. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. So it's Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, speaking of God, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Amen. Let me read that one more time. That'll do a lot of our street justice and everything else. It's already in Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So God says, I'm the one who delights in justice. I'm the one who delights in loving kindness. I'm the one who delights and enjoy doing this for my children. And how dare you begin to boast on how smart you think you are? How dare you begin to boast about your riches? Hmm. Instead of becoming boastful and proud when we find ourselves in a have situation, we should be humble that God has entrusted us with so much, recognizing the great responsibility that is ours to give him glory and to allow us to share the Lord's goodness with others. Got one yes. Those people up in the sound room, you ain't got to worry about no tapes today because they don't, they don't want to hear this one. This is what he's telling us. It's in his word. 
Why are we as a believer not following his word? Why are we not even preaching this in most churches? Because we still caught up with the world's definition of what rich and poor is. And God says, I've already defined it for you. You might not like it, but it's my definition. And guess what? That's what you're going to be held accountable to, his definition, not yours. So you can come up with whatever definition you want to come up. You can come up with whatever definition you want to come up to. You're a justice seeker. God's saying, who are you? I'll take care of it in my time and in my way. Then I got to be honest enough and say, I'm good with that. Because I trust you that you're going to do what you said you would do. If we properly handle our trials, even the trials of being in the condition of being a have, with an eternal perspective, God already knows it will keep us from pride. So I know last week there was a little bit of talking of pride, and I know we talked about it a little bit this, this morning in our class. But God is saying, if I keep an eternal perspective, even if I have a lot, even if I have an abundance, my focus is not on them, it's not my treasure, it's not my focus, it's not my goal. But if I don't keep that eternal perspective, pride will seep in. And once pride seeps in, it normally doesn't stop seeping. There was a young lady who went to the famous humorist, and it was a, some of the older ones might know his name was Will Rogers, and asked his advice, Mr. Rogers, she asked, what can I do about pride? Every time I look into a mirror, I think I'm beautiful. Will Rogers replied, honey, that's not pride, that's a mistake. One of the biggest mistakes a saint can make is to become prideful about his or her accomplishments. Boasting about all they have and all that they've done. Have you ever run across a person that when you start talking to them, they start giving you a list of all the things they have done? Have you ever gone in somebody's house and you thought you was in a museum because it had one plaque after another plaque, another plaque of all of their accomplishments? But then they will say, I'm not prideful, I just wanted to hang these up. Be careful. Because before long, you're going to begin to take pride in those accomplishments. But then the wise person understands the only way those accomplishments were made possible was because of him. God put me and placed me in a position where I could use the gifts and talents that he has given me, not for my glory, but for his glory. He gave me a voice to sing, not so I can run around the house and say how good I sound, but to be able to sing praises unto his holy name. He's given me an ability to teach or preach, not for me to run around and have a marquee with my name on there, because my name means nothing. His name means everything. We were talking in the, in the session yesterday, and we were talking. We were giving an example. I won't give an example. But I will give an example of some people who want to be in certain things so people can hear their name. So now you're a singer. You're an entertainer. And you're waiting. I said, I can't wait for the day when the crowd is all shouting my name. Ebony! 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 Kayla, Kayla, Kayla! Look at that. I got 20,000 people in this arena. They're all waiting on me. They all want to hear me. Then I'll just go back up in the Bible, and there was another person named Lucifer who said, I'm it. I'm the music director, and everybody should be worshiping me. Everybody should be giving me attention. Nothing is changing. 
Anytime you start worrying about somebody knowing your name more than you know God's name, you got a problem. Anytime you more worried about your family name, whatever it is, over God's name, you got a problem. I like the name Denny. I ain't going to be running around boasting about the name Denny. Because I tell people, any of us go up any tree, it's going to be some fruits on those trees. So are you going to be running around, put your shirt out, I got two murderers in my family. I got two serial killers in my family. You ain't going to talk about that. But you are going to talk about, oh, we got a lawyer, we got a senator, we got this and that. Really? And now you ought to be more concerned about were they believers? Because if they weren't believers, they're in hell. So you boasting about somebody in hell. Because you're focusing on the temporal and not the eternal. Mm. rather than becoming boastful. We don't want to be prideful. We, want to, we don't want to get to that situation where we begin to think we deserve all the credit and God deserves little to none of the credit. Rather than becoming boastful and proud, we find ourselves in a half situation. We should be humble that God has entrusted us with so much. There was a story by George Adam Smith, and he was a renowned Old Testament scholar of the Bible. And he used to tell the story of a trip he once took to the Swiss Alps. With his guide, he went up on a lofty peak, the highest one in that particular mountain range. When they arrived at the top, he stood up to take in the panorama of the beautiful mountain range. He said that when he stood on the top of that mountain, he did so with a sense of pride at what he had accomplished. But as soon as he stood to his feet, his guide grabbed him around the legs and said, down to your knees, sir, down on your knees. When you are on top of a tall mountain like this, with the winds blowing as they do, the only safe place to be is on your knees. When you start having some accomplishment, you start standing up tall and your chest is out, that's when you are most prone to be knocked down. So whatever accomplishments you think you had in your life, did you get on your knees after that so-called accomplishment and give God the glory and praise that he has deserved, or were you too long standing up taking bows? taking a selfie of yourself. We live in a selfie philosophy now. Look at me. And God is saying, it has never been a look at me. It has always been a look at him. And giving him the praise and the glory and the honor that he deserves. So whether you are rich or whether you are in humble circumstances, God says you must look at your circumstances not as a momentary temporal matter, but as an eternal perspective. That's what children of God are to do. There are no buts, because as soon as you put a but in there, it does not belong. Now you are making an excuse to not follow God's word. Is it easy? No. Is it possible? Yes. And why is it possible? Because of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of each and every one of us. 
And that's why we have brothers and sisters in Christ. Then when we see somebody starting to float off in the air, we love them enough to say, hey, it's time to get on our knees. When you see somebody starting to get caught up with themselves, don't feed into it. Don't tell them it's normal because it's abnormal for a child of God. It's normal for an unbeliever. So do you got some people that you need to pop some balloons? Do you need somebody to come in your life and pop your balloon? Because some of us, we can pop other people's balloons. but we ain't willing to pop our own. Did you come here thinking that the week before sermon was about you because you was a have not? Or do you not realize you ain't as poor as you think you are? And we were talking as I closed, I, I was talking to somebody today and I said, look at the United States with this virus going on and people are now going to a store and they go there and the shelves are empty and they're complaining, they're whining, they're crying. You look at many other countries in the world, this is their everyday living. We had many times in Aruba, we had blackouts where there was no electricity on the island. You know who got the electricity first? Aranjasad, the rich area. We didn't live in the rich area. So we had to wait. We praying God, don't let our stuff melt. God was teaching us, don't put too much in there because you don't know you're going to have electricity. Now, we'll still hear the people in the United States still talking about how horrible the United States is. Let them go somewhere else. Let them go somewhere else. You are in the land of milk and honey when it comes to resources. Now you just getting a taste of it one week going to the store and see how you feel. Now imagine people don't live their whole life and that's how they've gone. Would you now be considering yourself poor? Would you be now be considering yourself, I have richness? all relative. And God has ways of teaching us lessons to remind us you're not as poor as you think you are, and if you are rich, it ain't about your richness. It's still about him. Because he gets the glory and he gets the praise. Amen. So Father, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to travel through um, this verse to, to remind us where our focus has to be whether we have or have not, whether we have little, whether we have much, even to change some of our thought patterns of crying poor when relatively we have more than what we can use. Thank you, Lord, for taking the time to teach us. Thank you, Lord, for taking the time to, to show us and to reveal ourselves what we truly look like to you. And then you have a way of showing us what we look like ourselves. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our boasting. Forgive us for our selfishness. Because it's so easy, so easy to become prideful, to become boastful. For you told us in your word, if we boast of anything, it must be of you and you alone. Forgive us, Lord, that some of us have not been boasting about you enough. We may boast about you for the hour, hour and a half that we're inside these four walls, but once we leave these four walls, we act like you haven't done anything for us. 
Sometimes we leave these four walls and we sound just like unbelievers, always talking about what we don't have, always complaining, never satisfied, never content, always wanting more of things, but not more of you. Not understanding that if we get some of those things that we are crying out to you for, they will be just come more and more distractions of us spending time with you. Because now we'll be spending time on our phone, we'll be now on our computers, we'll be now doing this, we'll be now doing that. I speak from personal. I remember when I first heard that the NBA season was suspended, the first thing I thought about was how that was going to affect me. Did not even think about how it was going to affect other people. Then I began to wonder, what am I going to do if there's nothing on TV? Never thinking about, hey, that might be more time for me to spend with you. Don't even cross my mind. Just start complaining about what I can't see on TV. Because that's the type of selfish people we are. We thank you, Lord, that we are your children. But we also know that we are some very unfaithful, ungrateful children. So Lord, let us ask ourselves, what are we going to do with this extra time that we have on our hands? Are we really going to spend it with you? Or are we going to look for more distractions? Are we going to look for ways that we can be a blessing to other people and do some of those good works and good deeds that you have ordained for each and every one of us? Are we going to follow your word in Hebrews and says that we provoke one another towards good deeds? That we stimulate one another not to do nice things, but to do good deeds, the good works. And good deeds and good works always include you and not us being nice people. Because unbelievers can be nice people. We are not nice people. We are godly children of yours. Let us not mix the two together because they do not mix. They are dark and light. Let us walk according to the high calling we have been given, and that is children of God. So this is an opportunity for South Suburban. This is an opportunity for all of your churches to shine, not ourselves shine, but you shine through us, that they begin to say there's something different about those saints, that they're facing some of the same fears. They're facing some of the same worries, but they are living differently because they are different because we have been called and chosen by you. So sometimes we don't like the way you do things and we think it could be done a different way, but sometimes this is the way it needs to be done because you know what's best. And we give you the praise, we give you the honor, and we give you the glory because that is where it belongs. So Lord, we say these things, ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.